Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. I want to talk to you about God's backdoor key. God's backdoor key key. You know, God has never been afraid to come to the enemy's front door and tear his kingdom down. He just never has been afraid. The only reason God did not wipe out the devil and demons and all those things after Adam and Eve sinned was because Adam and Eve chose to open the door to invite the enemy in. I was once invited to a a business in the Philippines. I played basketball with the owner and he had probably 60, 70 employees. And I've known this guy for many years. He's not really surrendered his life to Jesus, but we talk about God a lot. I play basketball with him and other guys. Then I go and share the gospel with him a lot. And he said, Hey, Brian, I need you to, Give me a little insight of what needs to be done. He said, some of the people at our business have said they've been having encounters with ghosts. I said, ghosts? I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't know. And he doesn't believe. He's like, this is ridiculous. But he says, there's people who are not coming to work. They feel like they're seeing things. And it's created so much fear in their heart. And I don't know, I don't believe it's ghosts. I just believe it's demons that are trying to intimidate people. And I said, oh, tell me more about it. He goes, well, you know, this person had this encounter and this stuff here and all this. And it was like a lot of people. And I said, well, I said, what do you want to do about it? And he says, well, that's why I'm asking you. You know what to do? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I don't know. What do you, you throw like water around or stuff like that? And I, I got no. <laughs> uh, we throw the blood of Jesus around. <laughs> and when we go over there, I, and I began to explain to him, I said, oh yeah, we know exactly what to do. You know, felt like Ghostbusters, you know, except we know what we're doing. And the uh, Holy Ghost. And so I said, I would love to come. Do you think you could set up a meeting with with uh, your folks initially, because I'd love to come over there and just tell them why these things are happening and then how to get rid of it. And he said, whatever. Okay. So we sat down with all their people and I said, and I talked about this. I said, how many of you guys, when you go to sleep at night, you leave your door wide open for a thief to come inside? And they looked at me, of course not. And I said, okay, this is basically the same reason why you're having the problems that you have here. I said, some of you have opened the door to demonic influence. And I began to explain some of the sin that maybe some of them had done. And, and, and when we sin, it's like an invitation to the enemy to just come. And it's like blood in the water for sharks. Okay. 
And I said, when we open the door, he comes in and brings, steals, kills, and destroys, right? Brings destruction. And I said, but Jesus said, I come to give life and life more abundantly. How many of you would like to shut the door to this activity and live in peace? Everybody raises their hand. I said, okay, well, let's pray in Jesus' name. Kind of prayed a general prayer, led them in a prayer. You know, it wasn't what I would normally do in leading a person to the Lord. I like to kind of aim for repentance, not just a decision. But in this context, we were focusing on repentance and them taking ownership to shut the door. And then after that, we never had a problem again. We ended up doing a Bible study in this business for the next two years. Several of them came to Jesus, and it was all because we said, we got to shut the door. Some of us open the door to the enemy. And when we do open the door, the front door, when enemy comes knocking at the front door of our lives, and we open the door and he comes and brings destruction, then we, we think we failed. How are we going to overcome this? Well, here's the good news. God always has a key to the back door. He knows how to come in a way, even when we open the door to the enemy, he has access in ways that we know not of sometimes. We always think God has to come through the front door and repair everything. And sometimes he does that. But a lot of times he comes through a back door so that we would recognize that he is sovereign. That he, he, look, God's not interested in putting a band-aid on cancer. God wants to eradicate it. God wants to eradicate sin. He wants to eradicate things that have made you and I a slave to sin. So that not only does he want us to be free, but he wants us to live victoriously. Sometimes, and this is why I asked her to share what Dr. Brown said. A lot of people just pray, I want to go to heaven one day. And they think they pray a prayer and go to church and one day they'll just go to heaven. That's what it's about. But it's not about that. It's about being reconciled to Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and becoming a minister of reconciliation. Every one of you in this room, anybody in the sound of my voice, is a minister of reconciliation if you're born again. No qualifications except to be born again. That's it. You immediately become filled with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And no matter what your function or title is, you and I are called to go and do the things that Jesus did and even greater. Amen? God always honors the will of His people. He never forces us to love Him. Jesus pursues His church as a as a. As a as a bridegroom pursues a bride so that we would choose him over those who want to destroy us. But we don't always pay attention to behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? And we don't listen and we're, and, and yet we're enticed when something that is pleasing to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, to the pride of life that the enemy uses to have access to us and he entices us. But Jesus comes with a small, still voice oftentimes. He doesn't always come in the whirlwind. He doesn't always come in a storm. He doesn't come in an earthquake like with Elijah. He came with a small, still voice. 
That's why he says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted in the heavens. I will be exalted in the earth. The enemy cannot come through stillness. He has to come through activity. He has to come through busyness. He has to come through something that would be pleasing to us, that it would cause us to move and lose sight of the simplicity of the gospel. It's not as hard as you think. We have to shut the door to him. God's sovereignty is so powerful that I believe he understands even our struggle with sin. So that when you and I come to places of failure in our lives, the Lord still is in control. Even when you fail. That's a good word. Because, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because if it was all up to our ability to be able to live holy before God, nobody in this room would make it. But it's not. It's by faith that you're saved. Through grace, right? This is not of yourselves that any man can boast. We rely simply on the blood of Jesus. Now we do have a responsibility and God understands that. But if my daughter who is 11 years old doesn't have the maturity of my daughter who's 24 years old I'm going to hold the same standards but I'm going to treat their situation a little differently I'm not going to be harsh with her I might be a little bit more direct with the older one but when we, we teach them that God is a loving father who is a God of love and also a God of justice and we help cultivate that understanding within their minds so that as they grow and mature and their love for the Lord, they will begin to make decisions based upon the principles of the word of God that have been established in them, that, that, that are laying a solid foundation. I want my kids to make choices for Jesus, not based upon who we are and what how God uses us I want them to hear God for themselves and see when you and I can hear God for ourselves then when the enemy comes knocking on the door we're going to know the difference and we won't have to just call the pastor to say help I'm not saying it's wrong to call the pastor I'm simply we, we need each other but the fact of the matter is we need Jesus more than we need anybody else. God expects when we surrender our will to him that we would honor our covenant with him forever. The struggle with our flesh continues even after we are born again. But here, God still pursues you. We got married couples in here and most likely, you know, the, the husband was pursuing the wife. Sometimes it's the other way. But ultimately, you know, I, I pursued my wife. And I said, you're going to be my wife whether you like it or not, woman. <laughs> no, I didn't say it like that. But I, but I did pursue. And after we, you know, when you first get married, you can do no wrong. I love you. Everything is perfect. Holding hands. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. Glory, glory. You know, and then, then life begins to hit you. <laughs> and then you have arguments. And, and you have kids. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and after you have these five golden rings, 
That's my part every Christmas in this song. Five golden rings. I think it's prophetic. But some people think it's pathetic. But anyway, um, when you have these issues take place, you don't just divorce your spouse. Right? You don't just say, oh, we had an argument. Boom, you're gone. Got to find the perfect woman. You'd be looking a long time. Because here's the issue is that we often project on other people the expectations that we're not even willing to have for ourselves. And when we fail, we expect other people to be held to a higher standard. And so when we're willing to, before God, learn how to look into his word, which he says it's like a mirror, and it reveals to our hearts who we really are, It helps us to deal with our own nature. The old nature that's being crucified and the new nature which is becoming our identity. People have a hard time with this saying sometimes. They are okay with saying I'm a sinner, saved by grace, but they have a hard time saying I'm a saint. Do you know the blood of Jesus makes you holy? What is a saint? It's a holy one. That's it. It's not somebody who did some great marvelous work that we put their picture or make a stained glass window out of and and have books about and say this person was so much more impressive than everybody else. There's only one person in history that's the most impressive person that has ever lived and that's Jesus. He lives in you. He lives in me. He lived in the apostle and any other people that we would value and highly esteem. The only reason we don't allow God to function in us is because oftentimes we're busy projecting upon other people expectations that we're not willing to engage in ourselves. If we deal with our own hearts, listen, revival is not so much about meetings. It's a personal issue. And when we are willing to say to God that I need you to change me, start with my heart. He will do it, my friend. And that's when everything changes. And oftentimes that comes on the heels of failure. It comes on the heels of brokenness. See, God can use broken people. He can't use clay that's hard because he can't mold it, but he can take it when our hearts are soft. And he says, it's okay for you to be broken in my presence. But Eric, you don't know what I've done and, and you don't know what I've said and all those things. Friends, listen, there's nobody who's righteous. No, not one. But the reality is, is that he is. And the more that you and I learn to how to live a lifestyle of repentance, I'm not, I didn't say a lifestyle of condemnation, but we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit on our hearts on a daily basis, a weekly, monthly basis. I promise you the image of Christ will be formed in you. He's already in you, but he's trying to get out from you through the renewing of your mind and the confession of your mouth. The struggle continues. God is never limited by our failures. He always has a backdoor key. I would love to think that I walk in complete obedience. 
I, there's days, man, when I feel so awesome in the Lord and been doing my devotions and everything's good here. My kids are walking on water and things like that, you know, and, and everything in the Philippines is going right. And then all of a sudden I'm driving on a highway and somebody cuts me off. And then this old New York man comes up and he says, and my wife and kids go, no, renew, renew, Lord, forgive him. No lightning, please. You know, no, God, we've got to understand God's not intimidated by our failures, friend. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I'm the Lord and I don't change. You and I have to change. And he expects that. So he that who began a good work within you will bring it to completion. He's not finished with you. When Jesus sat on the cross, he's the only one who could say it is finished. But until we go to be with him in heaven, that's when we'll be complete. It'll be over. There will be no need for us to fight against sin and death and against our flesh anymore because we're crucified with Christ in a spiritual sense, but we're still becoming holy, right? We're perfected in Christ while still becoming holy. Hebrews 10, 14. There is this picture of understanding that In Christ, he makes us holy. We receive his righteousness. Everything we have need of is given to us when we're born again. But how we appropriate what God has given to us is dependent upon how we live out our faith and how much we continue to live a crucified lifestyle and at the same time learn how to enjoy who he is. The reason why I believe I've have had any maturity in the Lord is because he pursued me when I failed him. I didn't at first I always wanted to be perfect because I saw other people who've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years and I wanted to be doing that. But I wasn't where they are. You know, and 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 sometimes us Ministers can project perfection, but the reality is, is that what it takes to grow and mature in the Lord, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes a willingness to say that I need to walk in humility. Because we all come from pride, and pride is the ultimate sin. That's a thing that caused all this to happen in the first place. That's the root of all sin is pride. Whenever somebody sins, no matter what it is, lust or anger or lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it might be, idolatry, covetousness, it's all rooted in pride. It makes us think that when we sin, it's okay to, for me to do that because I'm in control. We're never in control. No, When we weren't saved and when we are saved, we're never supposed to be in control. Only he is supposed to be in control. God's patience with my immaturity has proven to me how much he loves me. The more we realize how much God loves us in spite of our imperfection is how we can walk away from the controlling power and the enslavement of sin. Is this making sense today? 
Because I, I really felt this on me last week when I was getting this message, and I've never preached this before, some of the principles I've focused on. But as in my own journey with the Lord, I, I want to encourage people where they're at. I, I don't want you to come here and walk out of this room and think, I'm not like this person or that person. I want you to say, Jesus loves me where I'm at. Even in my imperfections, even in my failure. Now, obviously, he has standards. And that's the reason why we feel conviction. Because he gives us a goal. Your goal in life is to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Everything else will fall in line with him. Listen, the bat, there's a battle for our lives and God is never going to give up on us. He's in hot pursuit of you and me. Close any doors to the enemy that we may have opened up to sin. And I promise you that his love will guide you towards maturity. It really is. Now, let me give you a quick background and we'll go through a little bit of Joshua 8. In the summary of Joshua 6 and 7, Joshua 6, they see the walls of Jericho fall. They've crossed over into the promised land. It's where they were supposed to be for 40 years. Those who were wandering in the wilderness died in the wilderness. New generation that was born in the wilderness inherited the promised land. And as they're going in, the first battle was Jericho. Jericho, boom, walls come down. Awesome victory. Could you imagine blowing the shofar and watching the walls of an entire kingdom fall? That's supernatural. That's what it's like to be born again. God does something that you and I can't do. We can't save ourselves. No matter how many times we go to church, how, many, how much money we give or time and effort and energy we give, we can't save ourselves. Only Jesus could do that. But the next city they were to conquer is called I. A-I. In Jericho, God told Israel not to take anything from Jericho. Not to take anything that was devoted and cursed to idolatry, okay? In Joshua 6, 18, it says, And you by all means abstain from accursed things, lest you become accursed. When you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. So if we sin by disobeying the command of God and we think that it doesn't affect the community... That's, that's not the truth. When you sin at home and you bring it to church with you, it affects the community. Didn't Paul say, there, this is why many are sick and dying among you, because you do not discern the Lord's body. If we want health, if we want victory, we take responsibility at home. And we don't come to church to get Jesus, we bring him with us. And that freedom comes in the body and the community and relationships. It is not hard to experience revival and awakening. It's only hard because we get in the way. But if we trust that God is bigger than our way and he has a backdoor key, we always can fall on our knees before him and take personal responsibility and watch God begin to change a community through your heart and mine. Achan did not obey God's directive. 
He stole items God told him not to take. In Joshua 7, when Israel went to Ai's front door to attack, they were defeated. And God exposed and dealt with Achan's sin. He was stoned for his sin because that was the law and the commandment of God. Aren't you happy for grace? You remember the woman who was accused, caught in the act of adultery? What did they do? Take up stones. And so what did Jesus say? He who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody dropped their stone. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? They're nowhere, Lord. And he said, go and sin no more. Isn't that good? Aren't you thankful for that? I want you to realize that none of us have a right to throw a stone at each other. <laughs> if we are dealing with our own heart, we're not going to come with stones. We're going to come with grace. Because we know what God's done in our heart, he's doing. And I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm talking about the grace of God that was purchased through the blood of Jesus. God led Israel in a backdoor attack towards I. Like Israel, and we're going to read it in a second in Joshua 8. Like Israel, sometimes we experience defeat before we experience victory. Sometimes. We're already victorious in Christ, but when we try to do things our way and we experience failure, we think, oh no, I'm never going to be able to do that. Last night I had a word for the adults at the camp. And I said, is there anybody here who felt like they failed God and didn't obey God? And I gave a specific word about, I want to get into it. And, and you want to make that right today? And several people stood up. And I, I said, this doesn't mean you're, you just got to go back in time and undo everything and fix everything. This means you just start where you're at. God knows how to pick up where we left him off. God knows how to take us and cultivate his goodness within our life. He's a good God. He's not a dictator. He's a father who loves his children and he longs for you and I to know him in that intimate way. Maybe you didn't have a good representative in your, in your parents of somebody who was supposed to represent the heart of the father and the heart of a nurturing mother who also represents the father. I want to tell you, friend, do not look at God through the eyes of your experience. Only look through the eyes of the word of God. Allow him to renew your mind. Listen, Israel, right? Is it, what is it? Isaiah. I, Isaiah. I have all these Israel names on my name. I want to tell you something, young man. What you told me the other day and where you've been coming from, there is a new thing that God's doing in you, bro. It is new. God is interrupting your family line. And he's saying the blood of Jesus overcomes all these false covenants and all these ungodly things and curses and stuff like that. And he says, I do a new thing in you today. God's doing a new thing in you today, buddy. Proud of you, man. You remain faithful to Jesus. Be teachable like Timothy was to Paul. You got people here. You got leaders here who love you and will nurture you. And God will use you like a glove. He'll put his hand into and he'll reach out and grab your family. Often before we fulfill God's perfect plan, our imperfections get in the way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Thankfully, when we're defeated at the front door, God always has a back door key. Isn't that wonderful? Are you guys okay, time-wise? Can I go on a little bit? All right. Joshua 8, starting verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, remember, they just got defeated at Ai. They just came from Jericho. Their expectations is, Ai is going to fall. We're in the promised land. God's with us. And then, boom, there's a failure. Wait a minute. Why are we defeated? Joshua's tearing his clothes, saying, God. And he says, calm down. I'm still here. I didn't leave you or forsake you. I still love you. Now, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Isn't that good? <laughs> Nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. And not, he didn't say all the people of war, uh, people who are angry now and want to get things right. The people of war, because they have allowed themselves to be submitted to God, and now they are prepared for war. And arise and go up to I. See, I have given into your hand the king of I. And I'm wondering if Joshua's thinking, are we going to go to the front door again? Because that didn't work really well the last time. Right? We're expecting God to do the same thing that he tried to do before. And yet the enemy showed up and we failed. And we think, how's God going to make this happen again? And you shall do to I and its king at the king, the enemy, the works of darkness. As you did to Jericho and its king. Your born again experience that same powers within you. You're going to win. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. In other words, listen to my voice. The last way you went, you opened a door and the front door and it didn't go so well. But listen to me because now I'm going to take you through the back door because I got the key. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush in a city. In other words, become intercessors first and behind the city. Don't just come out and try and fight the enemy on your own. Become a people of prayer first. I love what you said about preparing the ground and preparing the place for prayer for the tent. And I'm going to come up for that with Keith and and I think uh, Kevin and Charlie and the folks are coming up. It's going to be phenomenal, guys. We're so excited what God's doing. But prepare in prayer. And he commanded him saying, Behold, you lie in ambush against the city. Behind the city, do not go very far from the city. But all of you be ready. Say, be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and I will come about when they come out against us at the first that we shall flee before them. God knows what he's doing, friend. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city for they will say they're fleeing before us. As at first, as the last time when we defeated them. See, this is how the enemy thinks. He's such a liar, he believes what he's telling is true. So he thinks that he's always going to beat Jesus. Have you ever told a lie long enough that you believe it's truth? I have. I don't know about you all. 
I was just a bad person when I did all that all the time. The enemy's been doing this for thousands of years. So you think, wouldn't he get it that he's not going to win? No, he actually thinks he's going to win. He's a liar and the father of lies. So he thinks that he's always going to be victorious, that there's a way. But in the back of his mind, there's this conscience that he has. And he's, his conscience is very seared. And there's the voice of God that says, you know you're not going to win. See, the enemy has that in his mind where he lies so much that he thinks he's going to defeat you and I even through our own failures. But then Jesus has the back door key. Then you will arise from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it in your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. Burn it to the ground. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. I'm not going to get into, you know, we, we look at this and we go, why is God bringing destruction and stuff like this? The fact is this. He's sovereign. He's a loving God. And he's a God of justice. He did not destroy the earth with the flood because he just hated people. But he knew that if he did not judge sin, that the earth would be destroyed and mankind would be wiped out, that we would kill each other. Right? Isn't that the problem today with the wars and the famines? There should be none of this if we would all just do the right thing, but we don't. And the fact is, we need his intervention. And so God allows us sometimes to sin and make really bad decisions, not because he doesn't want to get involved, but because he's waiting for us to invite him. And if he doesn't get invited long enough, the world gets worse and worse and worse. And therefore he allows some justice in order that righteousness would remain established so that he would help those who are hungering and need hope. Does that make sense? Well, I know we can go deeper in that, but we just don't have the time today. Verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, and on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, and he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in an ambush between Bethel and Ai. These are people who were willing to lay their life down for the gospel. This is leadership, friend. If you want leadership in the kingdom of heaven, he's going to ask you to do something that he doesn't ask everybody to do. And it's hard sometimes. But when we honor him, he brings victory. And the victory doesn't always come from our hand. It comes from those whose hands that we're pouring into. While we're doing the the youth conference firebrand here, do you know that in the Philippines of their own accord, something I'd always wanted to do for years was a youth camp of some sort. Our Filipino leaders who we poured into for years decided to do a youth camp some months ago, not realizing it was going to be the same dates that were at firebrand. 
Everything was parallel that whole weekend. I wish I had the time to tell you about the multiple students that were water baptized by the hands of those who we discipled and poured into. I don't say that to draw attention to ourselves. I say that the goal of leadership is to multiply ourselves. Not do everything for anybody. But sometimes God asks us to do things that he's not going to ask those who we're pouring into to do yet because they're not ready. But yet, he asked these 5,000 people to go and prepare the way. To, to have the enemy draw out towards them. Be the one. Go out there and, and, and stand in the gap. Stand where nobody else wants to stand. Speak up for truth when nobody else wants to. And I promise you, this is why abortion ruling was just overturned, friend. It's because there were people who stood in the gap. There were people who laid down their life so that the truth of saving the lives of babies would be overturned. And I know it's still got a lot to go. But somebody paid a price. Where are we at? Verse 13, okay. And when they had set people, all the army was on the north side north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city. Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it. I'm reading a lot of scripture because I think this, the word works. I like it better than my words. It works better. And I and the king of Ai saw it. The king. The enemy saw these men going out and said, Ooh, I got an opportunity to bring destruction. He said, they're going, through the, they're going to the front door again. <laughs> and they, the, the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel in the battle. They're thinking they're going to be victorious again. Where they failed before, the enemy thinks he's got an open door still. But what he doesn't know is that door has been shut and God's got a back door key. He and all his people at the appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him from behind the city. (laughs) And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them. They looked weak. See, in our weakness we're made strong, my friend. And they fled by the wilderness. The wilderness is a good place to be. So all the people who were in I were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. They were drawn away from the plan of God. There was not a man left in I or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city, opened and pursued the door. God turned us around. When we open the door to the enemy and we fail and we feel defeated then we recognize that God has a backdoor key. God will use that same open door where the enemy brought destruction to bring life. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it. It's time to take some cities, my friend. It's time to take back territory. It hurried and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind him, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. 
So they had no power. Say no power. (laughs) The enemy has no power in the blood of Jesus, my friend. Mm. To flee this way or that way. And the people who have fled into the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the midst of Israel. People will be caught up in the will of God with you even if they don't want it and they're disoriented and not following the Lord, God will still fulfill his plan to your life and destiny. And I struck them down and, and that they let none of them remain or escape, but the King of I look at this. They took him alive. And this is what I want to get to. And they brought him to who? Joshua. Do you know what? Joshua represents Jesus. One day, we will be standing with the great cloud of witnesses and before the judgment seat of Christ. And then, the enemy will be brought in bound with chains. No power, no authority. And we will judge him with Jesus. Everything that the enemy has taken from you and brought destruction against you, your life, your family, sickness, disease, poverty, hardship, trials, tribulations, temptations, failures, you will have an opportunity to judge him with Jesus. Verse 28, skip down there. So Joshua burned eye and made it a heap. How long? Forever, forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on the tree till evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, at the entrance to the gate where they were defeated is where they judged him and raised over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. That is so good. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about that. Because, friend, I remember being an incredible failure. Failure was something that marked my life for many years. I didn't make the basketball team wasn't good enough. My parents divorced, so I thought I must have done something wrong. You know, it it wasn't my responsibility, but sometimes kids take on those things. I couldn't seem to make certain friends because I moved. I went to several different schools growing up because moving back and forth, my parents in upstate New York didn't seem to fit in with certain crowds. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then And then I become a youth pastor and we're real successful. And then what happens? I fail miserably because I have this secret sin in my life that gets exposed. And now as a hypocrite, I stand before God and I stand before the congregation and I failed again. But that day that I failed as a youth pastor was the day that God had a backdoor key. And he came around the back 
And without me or anybody else realizing it, when I walked down the middle of that aisle, and I was looking at my wife thinking, I've hurt her so much, chains just fell off. Hooks in my flesh came out. All the failure, all the things that I've done wrong, I was suddenly free. Never forgotten it. And God took that place of I in my life. (laughs) That's kind of interesting how that said. He took away and took over me. He conquered me. And ever since that day, I've not been perfect. But I'll tell you something. I'm not a failure anymore. You're not a failure anymore. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you're at in the scheme of things. I'm telling you today that you are God's favorite. You are his beloved. (laughs) He loves you with an everlasting love. But you don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've been hurt. Nope, I don't. Probably never will. But he does. Jesus never sinned, but yet when he died on the cross, the wrath of God, the sin of man was placed upon him. That's why he had to be crucified. Somebody had to pay the price for our failures. And he did. He felt like what it felt like for you and me to fail to sin, to come up short. That's what it means to sin is to come up short, to fall short of the glory of God. He felt what it was like to be abused. He felt what it was like to be hated, rejected, and despised by men. He felt like it, what it felt like to be lonely. He was separated from his father for the very first time. He allowed himself to do that and he never deserved any of it. He willingly put himself on that cross. You know why? Because he had confidence that he's going to be victorious. Friend, you and I can have victory, not in our ability, not in our giftings, not in our status or anything like that, but in his grace. Isn't that wonderful? I want to encourage you today to be motivated not by fear, but by love. You say, but doesn't the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Absolutely. There's a purpose to the fear of the Lord. We don't just throw it out. But this is the purpose of the fear of the Lord, to recognize that he's got him or not. We need to see that. Fear is a good thing, right? If you tell your kid, don't touch that hot thing or you're going to burn your finger, creates a sense of fear. It's a good thing. I'm not talking about fear that you yell at the kid with a fist like this. That, that's, not, that's ungodly fear. But holy fear warns us and tells us the truth. God's goal is that we would not know him only through fear, but through love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. The purpose of the love of the Father is that when you come to him through the fear of the Lord, recognizing your need for God, 
that you would not depend upon your ability or your own righteousness anymore so that he could take who he's making you to be in Christ and that you would live as his son and daughter. You'd live free. You'd live holy. You'd live righteous. You'd live at peace. You live with joy. You live with victory. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.